Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And I'm Greg Robinson. And today we have a guest from Ivy. I think it might be our first guest from Ivy, so this is kind of going to be a unique show for our uh, <laughs> listeners. I guess we have regular listeners, hopefully yep. some of them. Um, we have Julian Barg, who's a PhD student at Ivy. Welcome. That's right. Uh, well, why don't we get started? Usually we'll say, you know, what do you work on? I'm not actually really familiar with the PhD program at Ivy. So maybe you could first introduce yourself, tell us, you know, what, what you do, but also what is this program? Okay, so I'm Julian Bark. Um, I'm from Germany, by the way, and uh, lived in China before I came here. Very glad to be here. And yeah, I realized that Ivy is a little bit detached from the rest of the campus. I like to think that our uh, PhD program is not that different than something you might be doing in sociology, maybe economics for some of us. Um, so we generally learn about um, statistics, we learn about um, theories that are more economic or more from sociology, actually maybe a fair mix of both. Uh, I think it's in terms of uh, other PhD programs in social science sciences, I think it's not that not that different not that special except of course that we have a sustainability program which is great one one thing i think of uh when i think of like i guess it's ivy school of business mm -hmm. and often i mean it in, in a way it feels a little futile in some of the other disciplines because we're getting these highfalutin academic degrees that uh, are really valuable in some niche market and this is coming from someone who really wants to stay in academia and hopefully will have something valuable when I'm done my PhD but I really feel like business when people go into it they often say I'm getting something that's applicable to real world it's something I can use so um, do you find that like being in Ivy School of Business that it's it's really helping you train for a real job after so what like what's is it different in that regard well, of course, there's a difference between the MBA, Master of Science program and our program. Uh, we have good chances to get jobs, but we get very different jobs than the guys who do the MBA masters, right? So the MBA master students, of course, they would go into business. And in fact, they do have, at, at least right now, they have good, good opportunities. Let's see how the economy, you know, how it goes the next <laughs> few years. Uh, but for us, of course, uh, almost all of us stay in academia, which I think is pretty, pretty rare in terms of PhD programs. At least you know where I come from in Germany. Uh, so that's that's pretty unique, and 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 that's what I mean. I'm looking forward to that very much. That would be great if I could stay in academia. So I'm in I'm in physiology and pharmacology, and mm -hmm. pretty much everybody that does their PhD, um, everybody kind of goes a different way. But a lot of people want to go into academia. And they have a lot of trouble getting into mm -hmm. uh, a position here at the university because there's just so many PhD students. Is that similar in your program, that there's so many people, or is it more of like an exclusive thing, and that's why it's it's easier to get a, a position? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I did my master's, I, I didn't really know a lot about PhD programs and in, in business. I knew they existed, but of course, what everybody thinks of is the big disciplines like economics. But of course, it's very so we benefit from the fact that there is a lot of people who want to do MBAs and other programs, but they don't want to do PhDs, right? Right. So obviously, there is a very, very high demand for for uh, professors. And I think in research, 
I think what we do is pretty important too. I don't know how, in terms of research, how demand, you know, and uh, and supply, how that how that meets, you know, if that if that helps us. But using your yeah. degree right there, I, su- <laughs> yeah. I suppose, um, you know, you might you might be more incentivized to do that when you get closer to like the very end of your degree and looking, you know, at the job opportunities. Then you're going to look at the job market. But for now, you're going to focus on your project. Yes. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what kind of research are you looking at in particular? So generally in sustainability, uh, a lot of people, they do want to do something that relates to businesses. Subgroups, I would say, are people who care more about social phenomena. So they might be looking at um, looking at social enterprises. I care more about environment, environment, uh, environmental pollution and uh, climate change. And I try to bring that back to the level of businesses. Uh, but that's that's not all of us. I think, generally speaking, sustainability is, I guess you guys know that it's a relatively broad term. I don't think everybody has a very clear idea of what specifically it is when they hear the word. So there is, there is we're, we're spread very far and very thin in terms of what we do. I actually, I did a, I did a program in high school uh, in grade 10. It was uh, called, oh, I can't even remember what it's called. I guess it, that's aging me a little bit. But I, I, it was a while, back, while ago, uh, and it was an outdoor education program, and they like had this emphasis on sustainability, um, and they made us memorize the definition of sustainability and, it, and, <laughs> and chant it all the time. It was like I mean, it kind of sounds like a cult in that way, but it was I think if I remember correctly, it was uh, to meet the needs of the present without hindering the ability of future generations to meet That's their own right, needs. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know why it always stuck with me. So now that we sort of have an idea of what sustainability is, um, first thing that comes to mind when I think about business uh, is why would they be incentivized to even care? Well, I would say right now they're not incentivized that much to care. Um, I mean, we did away with the carbon tax in Ontario, right? And I think especially if we look at the U.S., uh, the, the requirements of what businesses have to do to protect the environment are you know, pretty low, especially in areas like Texas. So the only thing that might incentivize you might be the prospect that in the future we will change big challenges like climate change. We already see that in like Florida and the hurricane season and similar phenomena. So that's not a very, that's part of our, what we do, by the way. That's not a very clear incentive. That's very vague. You can't put a number on it just like you can put a number on quarterly earnings. So that means there is, there is not a big incentive and in fact, I think p- companies don't don't do a lot as a result. So that's one of the things that we do research that, you know, these things are very vague and most people don't seem to care very much, at least in terms of, you know, the last two, three years, what we see. Is this even in Canada? Because I've seen around here on campus, there's a lot of like biodegradable straws now that you can see um, or like paper straws that you can recycle. And specifically at the spoke, I've seen this. And so I think maybe it's a trend now that maybe Canadians want that. And even though it might cost people more, they might get more uh, more customers. Have you yeah. noticed anything like that? Obviously, we, we read papers on that. And from all the statistics in terms of climate change, uh, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, and in terms of uh, how much garbage we produce, I don't think there is a very big, big dent of that. So I think... I think we could there's this impression that we're doing something but I think we we could be doing a lot more if you if you look at our life now and 10 20 years ago I don't so there is some symbolic action but overall the how much garbage we produce I don't think the the 
difference is very big. We're just we're not doing enough, essentially. Yeah, and that's exactly what the incentive should be for businesses that yeah. they see. Okay, we're trying. We're 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 focusing on our quarterly earnings, and we see that we're heading a you know heading a bad yeah. way. Now you've traveled a lot, and yeah. I know overseas, particularly in Europe, they have a lot of sustainability programs. They're trying to be more environmentally friendly. Have you picked up some things over there that you've brought back and maybe use in your research? Um, not exactly, because what I'm doing now is very different from did what I did before. I mean, a big topic, for example, would be would be energy. I think that's very different between Europe and and Canada. Um, as you know, and a couple of European countries are investing a lot in um, solar and and wind energy, and as a result. It, the same in China, actually. As a result, we see a lot of coal power plants being shut down, or in Germany, nuclear power plants. Uh, so I think that makes a difference in some cases. That 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 improves the carbon footprint. Yeah, that okay. would be one example. So, so what exactly is your research in then? Okay, so right now I'm I'm, I'm right now I'm working on a, on a big data set that um, that has a lot of indicators that try to measure how 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 good the sustainable performance of companies is. Uh, I think that's a that's a big topic. There is a couple of companies which which start to measure that and which sh- start to publish the data. I think that's exactly what we need moving forward. That we can uh, uh, that we can um, you know measure and compare companies. But uh, the problem that we're facing right now is that you know there is a couple of numbers here and there, but it's very very far away from full coverage, even for big companies. So. Uh, we want to know what can these numbers actually do because if all these numbers if the numbers that we do see are just a result of companies selectively disclosing good data then that means that our, our data is not that useful right because then we we try to you know there's a bias to it there's a very strong bias to yeah, it I mean, yeah. yeah that's really cool and I hadn't hadn't thought of it in that way uh, to me that sounds very much analogous to uh, when when research is done on diseases, you can't always necessarily quantify how like the progress of the disease very accurately unless you have a good biomarker. So you have to actually check in the blood or by an imaging or some method to determine is this disease coming? Um, what is it going to get worse? And in what way? You know what uh, what markers can you use? And then those studies check how um, how good is that marker? You're kind of looking at this, these numbers, and saying, how how well can we use how can we use these numbers to determine how well these companies are doing in terms of sustainability goals? Yeah, but the the difference, of course, is that if you do something in biology, you know the guy in the lab, right, and you can see what he's actually doing. Well, we can't because we look at data for hundreds of companies, and we don't know the guys who work for Bloomberg and other you know analysts. So. We have to look at how they describe what they're doing, and um, very often we don't get a lot of details, so that, that that hinders how we can use the data. You're almost you're almost res- restricted to observational studies. You can't mm-hmm. do it. You can't do an exp- Is there anywhere where they can do an experimental? Mo- can you do experiments in business? Yeah, I think um, the guys who do you know things that are not related to sustainability generally, like especially finance, they have they have excellent data, so they can do a lot of quasi experiments, right? They yeah, mm. or like uh, maybe like modeling. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people, uh, some people say, I don't understand this model, and I'm just supposed to believe you when you tell me that your model says this happens. Uh, that kind of sounds hard, but I, I, I really think that you know, if you can justify the model well, then 
there's no reason not to believe it. Do you use models to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we lose, use a lot of different models because we got the different influences from sociology and economics. And as you know, economists love models. So uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they do. Yeah, I have a lot of models in my in my program. And I think you're exactly right. If we know, if uh, if we know the assumptions of the model, then we we can do a lot even with data on organizations that is, you know, that has a lot of noise in it. Yeah. So it sounds like you're trying to make a system that you're judging like how well, how sustainable each company is. And I'm just trying to think of the applicability of this. Like what if the government could use this and they could use it potentially to promote or um, tax certain companies depending on how sustainable they are? Could that be something in the future this, this system could lead to? Yeah. So one of the things that we're thinking about, for example, is, is temporality. As you mentioned in the beginning for sustainable development, it's about our generation, the future generation. So um, we would really like to find out which, which are the companies that only plan to the next quarters and which are the companies that you know look further into the future. And the hypothesis would be that companies that look far into the future, that they would be more sustainable. That would be a strong message for the people that we, you know, that we train at Ivy, right? The MBA and the MSc students. Okay. Is Google very sustainable? Because I think they look forward. So that's I, just my opinion, though. <laughs> I like their data centers. That's that's not related to my research, but I I heard that you know the things that they do with their data center. That's of course that's on a on a um, engineering level, right? On an engineering level, they look at how much energy they use and they, like a lot of tech companies, they try to reduce how much energy they use for their data centers. And then there's the social side that we hear a lot about, but I don't think I'm the right guy to to talk you know, about that. Um, there's a <laughs> Now, I mean, we you, you can't avoid politics. You just can't, especially <laughs> in this topic where it seems very much politically driven. You see politicians talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. all the time um, but you know you'd mentioned Google and you know I, I really feel like I mean I use Google products all the time I have no problem using Google products but they do have a lot of power when it comes to the internet and information uh, gathering and uh, it's kind of kind of you know if you're wondering let's say I want to do a project and I want to look at info on Google mm-hmm. I mean am I likely to go to Google search for something on Google and get negative information so my question is, how do you trust your data if you're getting it from the from the business themselves? How do you know where to get that data? How do you gather your data, and how do you gather good data? Mm. Did you ever request your data from Facebook? That's a Facebook or LinkedIn. That's a very interesting process that you should go through if you want to know how much data they really have about you. Of course, with Google, you know, since I'm from from Europe and we just set a new regulation and. Generally speaking, the historic background of being from Germany, you know, mm-hmm. that's I think data collection. That's a very big, very concerning, very concerning issue. What would be more interesting for me, as somebody with a background in social science, would be the fact that you know we could be talking about this a lot, and I think in the last years we have been talking a lot about this. But the fact is that people really don't don't change their habits. So that's the same thing that we see with uh, environmentalism. Like, uh, of course, the fact that there is a big database which tells us, you know, how old are you, uh, what ethnicity are you, or maybe you, you don't have the ethnicity, but you you have all my emails. So surely you can find out what ethnicity you are. And you know, speaking as a German, I'm sure you could build a 
data set with a very high precision of who's Jewish, which is really, really concerning if you think about it. Uh, I think that's very concerning, but the more interesting topic is that, you know, even though that's that's a fact, but it doesn't seem like we change our habits. So uh, I think what what's happening in a PhD program in social science very often is you have this intuition at first, this is concerning, this is shocking, but it's obvious. So you have to go one, one step further to find something that is worthy of, of being researched and that you know, sometimes can give a different perspective of things that resonates with people. But y you know that that might happen. As I said, you, you want to look for something that's not obvious. And then if you're, you don't know what it is, right? So as a result, you don't know what the outcome of your findings are going to be. What's the implications going to be? You know, in a, in a way, uh, you're, you're, you're making your program sound a little bit like uh, activism. It's like academic activism. Uh, do you find that that's the case with other people who, who, who do work like you? Is it is a lot of it driven by, hey, there's this problem, let's let's work towards fixing it, or is it some of it just like knowledge garnering? Uh, I think most of it is about knowledge. I mean, as a matter of fact, if I tell things about problems like this to MBA students or other students for that matter, most of them uh, probably won't care very much. So. Um, what we do is mostly create create knowledge, and from f in my opinion, these things—that's silly to say—these things are, are facts. I don't think those are those are opinions, or I don't think that has to do anything with activism. I mean, I'm—I I didn't mention that in the beginning, but I'm more of a data guy myself, so I, I work with statistics a lot. So um, the fact that we have big databases on you know almost all the people in the world—I mean. What was the leak last year in the U.S. that was more than 100 million people, right? So I don't, I don't think that. I think that's just a just just a fact. And uh, speaking about that fact, will will not will not uh, make a make a lot of change mm -hmm. in the world, right? So, so you're basically saying, you know, here here's the numbers. I'm laying it out. I'm interested in this topic, and uh, it's other people, policymakers, that can can take from this data and and interpret what to do next. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and the same goes with, you know, environmental pollution and climate change. All these things are are not new and um, they're broadly available, so we try to take it one step further and um, show the implications maybe of, of of what's happening, but we I I don't think activist uh, is a is an accurate description. No. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And I I guess that that's helpful because then um you can't really be accused of being biased because you know you're saying I'm looking at this from a neutral perspective. The data is the, what the data is, and yeah. I'm just going to show it as it is and leave it up to you to, to interpret. And that that really, I mean, <laughs> in terms of garnering trust, when I hear that from someone who produces data, I trust their data better. Mm. I mean, that's that's my opinion. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so actually, like pra practically, you said you mentioned. I think you mentioned Bloomberg was yeah. one of the. What, so, what is that? I think that I think that's like a news agency. So, how how do you actually like? Where do you physically get the data? Is it oh just yeah, Bloomberg? exactly. So, um, Bloomberg, they do have news, uh, but uh, first and foremost, at least if you're at the business school, you're talking about uh, Bloomberg terminals, which are very very important in the financial world, and they're very very costly. You have to. Um, get a 
What are Bloomberg terminals? So you get a subscription for a couple of $10,000 a year. And you get, I don't know if, I, th I think they, they give you a computer physically too, but I'm not sure if that's yours. And through that computer, you can access uh, financial information about almost any company in the in the world. I mean, I tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And um, obviously, if you want to do trading, you know, that's that's very valuable. You people, I, I don't know if how much how familiar you guys are with uh, fintech and you know trying to. I mean, obviously, everybody tries to tries to see where the stocks go, right? Mm -hmm. And but they also have some data on um, environmental performance, as I mentioned before, and they have uh, plenty of other data that is uh, useful for scientists. So that's what we work with a lot. But is is it really that centralized? Is it that only that one provider, Bloomberg, that that gives the data, and most people who work in your field just get it from from Bloomberg? Well, there's two or three. Um, there is CompuStat and um, there is another one, the name of which I should know, but I just forgot. And that's all right. Um, but Bloomberg seems to be the most um, popular. I mean, it is kind of beginner friendly. I, I, even though it's still very hard to use, so people, you know, master students spend a lot of time training on those. Um, but it's it's uh, what do you what do you call that? You know, walled gar closed garden, walled garden. It's like it's like. Um, Facebook and the internet, you know, it's it's not as easy to get data out of out of that as it is with uh, with other options. But nonetheless, they they have a lot of data and a lot of interesting, exciting data, and they have a lot of employees, you know, to collect that data and verify that data. So yeah, that's Bloomberg. So I mean, it sounds like uh, you know you could get this Bloom you get this Bloomberg terminal, like you said, yeah. here, or you could I could be living in Newfoundland. I could be living in. Mexico, yeah. and I could get the same terminal and buy it there, and get the same data as well. Yeah. Um, so like, how are they? How are they connected? Is it is it via the internet, or is that like intranet? Like, because I can't just why can't I just open up my browser? Yeah, they, it's an intranet. So. Um, so maybe the what setup, is that? <laughs> yeah, the setup is very complicated. Uh, our our librarians, uh, I, I guess it's uh, Bloomberg themselves who service all the machines. They have they have a center in in. in in Toronto, and before I came here, as I said, I was in southern China, so there were the guys in Hong Kong. Um, and um, there is no way of, you know, getting getting data like out of there uh, in a way that is not intended. I mean, you, they they offer a plugin for Excel, which is what you know what people use the most, I would say. But to give you an example, I, I really wanted to wanted to use Python to retrieve some of that data, and that would have been like a, the price tag would have been pretty large, so nope, it's not happening. Got a few questions for you. What's the difference between internet and intranet? Internet and intranet. Well, the internet is, is you can open the same websites from everywhere, theoretically. We know there are some countries which are exceptions to that, right? But if you have a VPN, you can access everything from anywhere. But for um, for services like Bloomberg and for you know for Ivy as well, for that matter, because when I when I work from home, I have to use some services that I have to have to use uh, the the Ivy intranet for. You have to basically you have um, a, a local network that is not connected to the internet, and uh, you have a connection from your computer to that local network via the internet. And then once you're in there. You could go out again, for example, if you want to use services like um, Factiva, which a lot of social scientists use. So it's like an exclusive internet. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Private <laughs> MVP and yeah. it's kinda it's it's kinda cool. I think um maybe historically that's sort of what the internet was when it started. It was just the first people who had access to those terminals and mm. when mm-hmm. the the ancestral internet i don't know what yeah. you call it the first it started internet. with like the the u.s army i think it was or the u.s government they I started it I and it was just used between uh for them and then eventually they yeah. decided to open it up to everybody right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and now everybody's got a computer or an ipad or something right yeah and now again there is a different kind of movement where we see countries limiting limiting access to services right maybe you could yeah. talk about that because you were in china and that's that's kind of cool. I mean, yeah. I'm 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 imagining you're like following the data. You're like, oh, you've got the terminal. I gotta go lit. Gotta go where the terminal <laughs> is and get the data right from you. <laughs> so you've actually like gone all around the world to the places where the data is. I don't know, freshest. <laughs> um, so what? What? How was that being in China and date and managing data? You can't even access Google in China, can you? Well, I think without a VPN. Ex- everybody, <laughs> everybody who knows enough can access anything they want from from China and from other countries for that matter. I I mean it's like a cat and mouse thing where there is there is uh, commercial VPN services which allow you to access the internet and sometimes they get shut down but I mean I'm I so I would still connect to the intranet of the university where I did my bachelor's. Uh, fortunately they offer that so the I don't think that's ever going to get shut down. And if you think of uh, you know international companies like um, um, let, let's say, like let's say Boeing, right? They they need to have they they need to be able to use the internet from their workplace. So I don't think that will ever be shut down. So for for because of that, I think people will always be able to access almost anything they want from China. So you did you you not find it any different to work in China when you were in China? It was just the same. Well, the thing with the VPNs is it's a bit inconvenient. It's it's a bit slow, but. Um, I've, you get used to it pretty quickly, and I, for f- as a matter of fact, I like the fact that I didn't have access to Facebook, because <laughs> uh, there was like what three, five years ago, and since then I, I haven't used Facebook, because you know once I didn't have convenient access to it, I, I know to it, I noticed that uh, you know it's it, it doesn't really make a big difference in your life. It doesn't really add anything. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. But of course, I, I would be glad if I could, you know, always easily access, you know, all the all the newspapers and everything. Okay, so we're coming uh, close to the end of the show. Um, can you maybe tell what would you say to someone who was interested in going to the similar program? What kind of suggestions would you would you give to someone who wanted to get involved in some of the work that you're doing? Uh, so uh, bring perseverance, a lot of it, um, and if you really care about. Um, if you're concerned about climate change, and I think everybody should be concerned about climate change, then you should be prepared for the fact that if you if you work on that, you know, a lot of other people will not care about it. And even though even though you know it's it's a, it's a fact that you know the climate will change and it will be devastating, and I don't think I think it will be very hard 20, 30 years from now. Uh, still, right now, you need to advocate for you know for re- doing research on climate change. I need to, you need to. I mean, at Ivy, it's it's fine. We have a, we have a plenty of people who who work on sustainability, but in in other places, you know, economics department, other department, conferences, it's 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 hard to carve out your space because this is something new. But I think everybody who does research on something new has has to, has similar issues. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, well, thanks for that, and thanks for coming on the show. Um, that's a good thing to end on, you know, with a good message for for people listening out there, but we're going to just have to end it there. So thank you very much for coming on the show.
Um, this has been Gradcast. Uh, we air at Tuesday on t- Tuesday at six p.m. and uh, ninety-four point nine FM CHRW. If you want to listen on the radio, you can also listen online at Gradcast.ca, where you can stream all our episodes. They're all archived there. Um, if you like to listen on podcasts, we're available as a podcast as well. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever podcasts are available. Look for our purple logo, and we'll be there. We're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Gradcast Radio. And if you want to come on the show and be a guest, or you want to contact us because you might want to join us as a committee member because you're a grad student here and you want to be a host as well, then you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And last but not least, we're a production of Society of Graduate Students, so thanks, Society of Graduate Students, and uh, we'll end the show there. Thanks for listening. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.